But somewhat more indirectly, what I think is great about an engineering degree is a general problem-solving mindset. I bring the idea of using a framework to drive decision-making to all aspects of my job. And particularly at a startup, I think that's extremely valuable because we're always resource-constrained almost always behind the ball. And so having structured uh, decision-making processes help us position for the long-term. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Backbone, a podcast exploring the journey of finance and operations within tech companies. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. If this is your first episode, welcome. And thanks for checking it out. For those returning listeners, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you've subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show on whichever platform you're hearing this now. It would mean so much to me and help spread the stories of these amazing finance leaders we feature on The Backbone. Joining me on this episode of The Backbone is Shruti Lanka, CFO at Public.com, an investing social network app that's breaking down barriers to stock investing by making investing fractional, inclusive, and social. As CFO, Shruti oversees finance, data, and people operations. Prior to Public, she served as the VP and Head of Strategic Finance at Moneylion, the fintech startup and challenger bank. She was Moneyline's first finance hire in 2017 following its Series A, and built the team that forecasts and monitors the firm's financial performance, overseeing financial planning, capital optimization, fundraising, and board engagement. Previously, she worked on mergers and acquisitions for RBC and at Goldman Sachs. Shruti also serves on the board of the nonprofit Women Creating Change. Shruti has an MBA from Duke University and a Bachelor's of Technology in Electronics Engineering from the National Institute of Technology in India. And so without further ado, here's Shruti Lanka, CFO at Public. Hey Shruti, thanks for joining me on The Backbone. How are you doing today? Doing great. A nice spring day here in New York. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, we've got lots to get into, so let's dive right in. Starting first with your career journey, you're a computer engineer turned finance professional with experience across product development, pricing, corporate development, capital raising, and merchants and acquisitions, so a bit of everything. And prior to your current role as the CFO of Public, you were the VP of Strategic Finance at Moneyline. And before that, you spent time in investment banking at RBC Capital Markets and Goldman Sachs. To start, Talk to me about your career journey and how it all started for you, Sruti. It is a somewhat unconventional path to go from engineering into finance, but I was born into a family of engineers. So to me, writing code or honestly building playing with semiconductor chips was actually extremely normal growing up. But the thing that my parents had really no idea about and all the smart people and smart engineers I was surrounded by had no idea about was the world of finance. But I like to say that they were you know, extremely good at math, but still terrible with their money. And I think <laughs> that's what made me interested to walk down this path into the finance world. So after graduating from engineering in India, I was lucky to get my first job at Goldman. Uh, and actually, I graduated into the crisis. This was in 09. It was certainly a foundational time to join 
So at Goldman, I actually worked on the engineering side, supporting uh, a wide range of businesses, but ended up spending a ton of time with the investment banking team, really building the products to support the team. And that's what made me increasingly interested in just understanding how all the pieces of Goldman fit together and just understanding how really any financial services firm made money. Diving into that part of the business and trying to understand that is what led me down this path. I decided at some point that I needed to get a real business degree instead of trying to study it on the side. And so that's when I moved to the States to get my MBA at Duke. While at Duke, I interned at RBC in their uh, financial institutions group. I thought it was a, a nice transition coming from a bank to looking at banks from the outside. Obviously, a strong Canadian connection there. RBC was a great platform for me to learn in and spent time both covering insurance companies as well as asset managers and wealth managers and really learned a lot about looking at a company top down and bottoms up, assessing where it stands with respect to its market competitors and learning the ropes of some of the things you mentioned, including you know, acquisitions and mergers and things like that. But after about uh, three and a half years, I think it was there, I decided that I needed to be building a company versus advising from the outside. And that's what ultimately led to the opportunity at Moneyline I actually left investment banking with no next job and just knowing at the back of my head that I wanted to build a company and somehow wanted to marry my previous tech experience with the finance experience. I was lucky to get the opportunity in Moneyline and at the time, no one had heard of it. It was just in the middle of closing the Series A and I was the first real finance hire working really closely with the CFO. Fast forward four years, raised a lot of capital and I saw the company through its most recent race just prior to this back process that it's now going through and learned a lot, built out the entire strategic finance team, but decided that I needed to find my own path as CFO. And at the same time, I being at Moneyline gave me a front row seat to all fintechs. And I started to see that particularly direct-to-consumer fintechs started to look more like each other and a little more like Chase or Wells Fargo. Moneyline and, and a bunch of others all offered debit cards, investment products, some credit line, and we're expanding to the full set. And I just mm -hmm. started to see that there was very little differentiation between each of these platforms. And I was looking for a company that was truly something, doing something different. And to me, that company was public with its social focus and with its intent to align incentives between customers and the company. Yeah, all of those things essentially led me uh, to the role yeah. here at Public. We'll talk a bit more about Public and, and what it's all about. But before we do that, maybe talk to me a little bit about how your background in engineering has helped you as a finance professional. Because as you mentioned, it's maybe not a conventional path. I think it's a good question. It's it's something I've thought about. I think most directly, I also oversee the data team here at Public. In order to run, I think, data teams, you have to be very facile in a number of different languages, be able to think through uh, engineering needs that ultimately translate to data infrastructure, and also think through business needs, including finance, that have to 
be able to be answered through your data infrastructure. So I think having that engineering background most directly certainly helps on the data side. But somewhat more indirectly, what I think is great about an engineering degree is a general problem-solving mindset. I bring the idea of using a framework to drive decision-making to all aspects of my job. And particularly at a startup, I think that's extremely valuable because we're always resource constrained, almost always behind the ball. And so having structured uh, decision-making processes help us position for the long-term. Yeah, totally. Well, let's dive into public. Now with the rise of retail investing, many people may be familiar with what public.com is, but for those that may not know, talk to us a little bit about public, what it is and, and what the company does. So public is a platform that brings together social and investing. Our thesis is essentially that access to the financial markets has been somewhat solved. Like there's a number of platforms that offer free trading, commission-free, especially here in the U.S. But really the thing that no platform, fintech or incumbent, has really solved is education. Everyone has access to the markets, but nobody knows how to make a successful first trade. And nobody right. knows how to assess whether that trade ties back to their financial objectives. Mm-hmm. Now, the traditional way to solve for education is to write long-form articles or put up videos on your website, but it's only had mixed success. And so we're taking a very different stance, which is we're going to ha- use the power of community to drive education and bring people that are on the sidelines of the markets to be involved in the markets and build long-term wealth. And we've seen that it works. I mean, we've seen pretty incredible product market fit. I think that that's evident in the fact that we crossed the 1 million member milestone. The community is 40% women, 45% people of color. We are seeing that this message resonates, that harnessing the power of community to drive people to educate themselves further on the markets is uh, a thesis that works. And even more, we're continuing to make changes to align incentives between our customers and the company in a way that's beneficial to both. Uh, And so all of these steps are leading to more members joining the platform and more people getting value out of joining the public.com community. Totally. I I think the education aspect, as you outlined, is definitely a unique one and something that you guys are doing a a really great job of. One of the things that you talked about is there's been a proliferation of startups or companies that are offering commission-free trading, but it's coming at the cost of what is known as payment for order flow. And one of the things that I wanted to dig into, which again, I think public has has made the first step into moving away from that is, first of all, explain for us maybe the concept of payment for order flow and why public decided to move away from this model to more of a tipping model. Yeah. At the heart of it, PFOF or payment for order flow is an indirect revenue model. So think about it pretty equivalent to Google or Facebook monetizing user content through ads. So what does Facebook or Google do? The user, the end customer, which is you or me, they monetize our traffic by ultimately selling it on to advertisers through whom they make money and and therefore the product is is free for you and me. However, is the product really free 
is the question is a question that everyone's asking, especially with the rise of tailored ads and your data not really belonging to you. Everyone's questioning whether this so-called free business model is truly free. Now let's translate that into the world of particularly trading. So PFOF essentially it refers to the payment stream that comes to brokerages that sell their the trade flow onto a set of hedge funds. Now Robinhood is one of the companies that does it, but they're not the only one. There are other brokerages that do it as well, and some of the biggest names as well. So every time a retail investor like you or me makes a trade on these platforms, essentially the brokerage is taking that flow and passing it on to hedge funds that then kick back a, a payment to them for getting that flow. And that allows these platforms to make the model free. And so the customer is not charged for commission. However, is it really free? Having access to that trade flow arguably allows the head funds to front run some of these trades. It also, at the base of it, incentivizes greater trading by the users. The more you trade, the more these platforms have to sell onto the hedge funds. And is more trading good for the users? I think that's a very questionable benefit, right? Uh, you want to mm -hmm. make sure that any trades users make are consistent with their long-term financial objectives, but excessive trading very rarely actually results in achieving those goals. So you can see how this business model to some extent pits the customers against the platforms that they're using. And those are exactly the kind of cross incentives that public seeks to avoid. So in order to more directly align incentives between the customers um, and the platform itself, which is public, we have decided that we're going to take out the hedge fund as a middleman entirely. We're going to go straight hmm. to the exchanges where your orders are placed directly with essentially the market makers at these exchanges and there's no middleman that's getting access to the trade flow. And how do we make money is, I think, an obvious next question, right? You've seen that we've already launched tipping, which is essentially a, you know, an optional payment that users make on these trades. And we will continue to launch other revenue streams that further align incentives between users and the platform. And some of these are subscriptions, perhaps, right, for mm -hmm. certain feature bundles. We think there are many other ways that you know, we can continue to keep the platform free, but align incentives between the customer and the platform itself. And so as you pivot from PFOF to tipping, what other considerations do you have to take into account to determine if this would be financially feasible for the company, especially in your role as a CFO? I can only talk about this to some extent, right? I can tell you that in the month or so that we've launched tipping, it's showing very promising signs. And that is obviously a key part of the financial decision-making process of whether this is working or not. The second is to look at our a broader competitive set and say, is there are there examples of this succeeding? Tipping is new, certainly, to brokerages. But if you look beyond just brokerages, the idea is not entirely new. If you look at 
companies such as Dave and Ernan, they were actually the first to launch the idea of tips for a financial service. They offer a salary advance product that users can tip on. Uh, and those products are actually performing really well. These companies have been doing really well. And Moneyline also launched tipping as part of their own salary advance product during my time there. So I saw examples of it working in adjacent sectors in the past, which gave me comfort that it could work in this business model. Mm-hmm. And some of the early signs indicate that it is. That's great. You alluded to this briefly, but Public recently crossed a million members on the platform, which is an amazing feat. As the company grows towards realizing its mission to open the stock market to everyone, what are the biggest challenges and opportunities you see from your seat as the CFO? Yeah, growth is everything because the stronger the community, the stronger the product. And this is a little bit different than any of our competitors, which are kind of scaling linearly in that if they add a million users, the way those additional million users get value out of the platform is same as the first million. But that's not actually true for a public user. Every single user derives more value from the platform as we add more because of the power of social and the power of the community. So for us, community growth is everything. And of course, we don't take that community for granted at all. So we need to make sure that the way the community has grown so far so far is how it grows into the future. Conversations remain respectful, ideas-oriented. People bring constructive ideas to the table. So that's something we're paying very close attention to, the careful growth of our community. And as with any other startup, there's always execution risk where we have an aggressive lineup of products, some really exciting ones, some of which we have already messaged, right? We will definitely launch crypto. We launch extended hours trading. We continue to build deeper into the product set around brokerage. And we need to do that well. We need to keep our users interested and excited. And so that's something we'll pay close attention to. And lastly, there are some products and features that I think no one is expecting. And Mm. those are the ones obviously we're most excited, but also the most secret about. And those are the ones that we're really working over time on because it plays to our strengths as both a brokerage as well as a social platform. Yeah, I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyways. What are some of those products? I cannot really talk about it, but I will let you use your imagination, right? Because there is really no other fintech that is out there today that has both the social features as well as the brokerage features. So those two things can come together in compelling ways that you have not seen in the market before. And we're starting to see this somewhat in totally different spaces, right? Like Strava, which has brought together fitness and social. And there are some parallels to how they are growing and how we think we can grow into the future. But as I can't really talk about some of those, I wish I could. (laughs) Well, we'll have to do a a follow-up on some of those products get announced to, to get your take on that. But you talked about the importance of community and definitely one of the differentiators that public has compared to its peers and competitors. What are some of the themes and interesting investment conversations happening in the public community today? 
every time I go onto the public community, I learn something and I don't consider myself a, a novice investor. So regardless of your investment experience, I do feel like every time I log in, I get something out of it and, and you are likely to as well. Some of the things that I have found most interesting, there's one account that does a patent breakdown, particularly from big tech companies. So they break down all of their recent patents and how it's likely to apply to also their competitors and smaller companies that are operating in the space. I find that personally extremely interesting. There's been a spate of S1s, right? S1s mm -hmm. or S4s, depending on whether people are going down the IP or SPAC. And truly, there's more that we can keep up with, especially recently. So I actually find it really interesting to look at the breakdowns of some of these. It done in great detail on the platform. I get a lot of value out of that. Some of the other themes that I've seen a lot of lately is I'm new to investing. Where do I begin? Stuff mm -hmm. like that is I also actually find really helpful because I, I started investing at a time when those resources didn't really exist. So I'm always curious to know if I should have done something differently or there's something that I can still do differently to build a stronger portfolio for the future. That's really cool. And maybe specifically for you, what are some of your favorite themes and investments that you're tracking these days on public? Yeah, great question. So some of my themes are actually somewhat boring, but it, it, it lends back to the fact that I uh, did a lot of insurance investment banking, right? So I pay close attention to insurance names and particularly some of the newer upstarts seem to be trading at huge premiums relative to insurance incumbents. So I watch that dynamic really closely. I have insurance names in the portfolio. I also discuss this a lot with my husband. I discuss investing a lot with my husband. He has a real interest in semiconductor chips. And some of your listeners are probably uh, watching what's playing out with NVIDIA and AMD and yep. just uh, this, the industry overall. It's going to be a fascinating time of change, particularly with a change in fundamental prices such as copper. So that's something I pay attention to. And lastly, I, like everyone else, I'm watching some of the more recent SPACs as well as IPOs. I will say that I do not feel like I'm an expert at most, but I do have some dollars put away at some of these recent names. Gotcha. And uh, where can folks uh, find your specific public handle in the community? Oh, it's really easy. You go to public.com slash spreadsheet uh, and spreadsheet because I believe in the power of bottoms up fundamental analyses <laughs> true to our function. So yeah, find me at public.com slash spreadsheet. There you go. That's awesome. What I'd love to do now is move into our quick fire round. And the way this works is I'll ask you some questions. You'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds great. All right. What is your go-to online resource for all things finance related? Believe it or not, it's actually Twitter. I get a lot out of top leaders on Twitter, and I think all of them are going to move over to public one day. There you go. Nice. <laughs> What's your favorite productivity hack? Oh, I don't check email before 2 p.m. I think it's a real drag. Uh, so I use my morning hours to think, and I, I do think it's, it's changed my life. That's great. What's one thing you don't leave your home office before finishing these days? This is a tough one. It has nothing to do with my home office, but I check my public account every day in addition to a number of other accounts. 
But I also actually make sure to check in with the whole team at least once a day. And I do think this is really important, particularly with us all being remote. So I guess that's one thing I, I don't leave without finishing every day. Nice. What's one jargon that makes you cringe? There, there's a lot these days, but what's, what's the most cringeworthy in your books? Oh my God, truly anything IPO and SPAC related because I feel like we're hearing about both a little too much. I would say anything public market related is, is what makes gives me pause. I wouldn't say makes me cringe, but gives me pause. Fair enough. <laughs> and what's the best advice you've received so far in your career? Best advice I've received really has to be around hiring. One of my favorite mentors told me to hire people that scare me. And that has been actually tremendously valuable and it's helped me build teams of, I think, unlimited potential. So this is the advice I leave all of your listeners with. Hire people that scare you, they will make you look good. And if they do take end up taking your job, it means that they're freeing you up to work on more interesting things. So yeah, hire people that scare you. I love that. That's awesome. I, and, and I don't think I've actually heard it articulated in the, the simple way that you just did. So that's awesome. Shruti, thanks so much for, for spending some time with us. It was a pleasure chatting with you, learning about your career journey, starting off in computer engineering and transitioning into finance, learning a bit more about public and what the company is all about and explaining to us the differences and the trade-offs between payment for order flow and how public is, is making the pivot off of that and actually already has, as well as teasing maybe some of the plans that the public has from a product perspective. We'll definitely be keeping an eye out for all of those. So thanks again for the time. Really appreciate it, Sruti. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Take care. Bye now. And that wraps up another episode of The Backbone. Check out some of the other awesome finance leaders featured on The Backbone from companies like Ecobee, Wealthsimple, League, and many more. Thank you for listening all the way through and joining me on this journey inside finance at a tech company. Until next time, take care.